And many people, as I have talked with folks, think it just doesn't seem right that God would condemn some people to a fiery place of damnation. I had a conversation, this was several years ago, and this one individual said, I just can't can't wrap my head around and understand why God just wants to burn people up for eternity. You know, God is love, that's certainly true, First John teaches us that, and, and eternally punishing people, just scorching and frying and torturing people, just doesn't seem to fit with this idea that God is love, does it? So how can a loving God send people to hell? That's the question we want to deal with today. How can a loving God, if he's love, how can he send people to hell? You know, if you were to ask, you know, just take a random sampling of people and just ask them about hell, you'd invariably hear that it's a place that you don't want to go when you die. Something to that effect. Yeah, I don't want to go to hell. That's not where I want to go. Now, if you go in and ask them to describe hell, odds are that you'll hear talk of fire and brimstone or weeping and gnashing of teeth and leaping flames and insatiable worms. Ask these same people if they take the prospect of hell seriously, and you're very likely to hear evasiveness, uncertainty, and perhaps even a little derision. Statistically, the majority of Americans believe in a place called hell. Just do your research. Most people believe in a place called hell. Many consider it a place of eternal punishment, uh, a fiery torture chamber for the Hitlers and the child molesters of this world. But is that what hell really is? An eternal furnace of sorts where people are tortured forever? Is that what the Bible teaches? Just, Just what is it? What is hell, and, and, and is our loving God really going to send people there to suffer for eternity? That's what we want to take a look at today. So to begin with, it would be helpful to understand where God is thought to be sending people. So let's start there. Let's talk about what is hell. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to, we need to clarify words of Scripture. And this, this is something you have to be very diligent about when you're studying the Word of God and looking at all the symbolism uh, in the Word of God, to understand the teaching of Scripture, we must understand when words are used literally and when they're used figuratively. They're, They're used both different ways. If we don't, we can easily misunderstand the teachings of Scripture, especially those about hell. And don't get ahead of me. Stay right with me. We're going to end up probably right where you're thinking uh, but let's let's take a look at one example of how we need to clarify the words of Scripture. In this example, Jesus refers over in Mark chapter 9, if you want to go ahead and be turning there. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus refers to hell as a place where there is fire, right? That's kind of one of the typical ideas of hell. It's a place of fire, and fire typically produces light, correct? And before the days of electricity, you lit a candle to have light in a room. We understand that idea. Mark chapter 9, in verse 48, we read right here where Jesus says, uh, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus actually says it. If your Bible has little red letters, that's words of Jesus speaking there. That hell is a place where there is fire. Now, if fire produces light at the same time over Matthew chapter 22, if you'd like to turn over there and notice verse 13, it says there, then the king said to the servants in this parable, Jesus uh, is teaching about uh, eternity through the parable of the wedding feast. He says, bind him to the one who's not worthy to come in. 
to eternity, uh, the feast, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. Now that's an allusion to hell and punishment where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now here's the conundrum. Here's the, the, the our task. It seems reasonable where, you know, Jesus says it's a place of fire, which fire produces light, but it's also a place of darkness. You know, it, it seems reasonable that these words are then therefore figurative. If, if not... They are contradictory because a literal meaning, if a literal meaning was attached to fire, then obviously then it would dispel the darkness. And so what I want you to see from this example that Jesus often used metaphors. Jesus often used figurative language in his teachings. Uh, we just read one parable. You can think about others where Jesus is teaching about faith and he instructs those of great faith to tell mountains to jump up and throw themselves into the ocean. Obviously that's not a literal occurrence but we understand what jesus is teaching there here when he's talking about a place called hell <coughs> with a, as a place of fire and a place of darkness it does seem here that he was giving a word picture of the indescribable nature of hell or, or are we to believe that there are is a place with eternal place with literal physical flames and in this eternal spiritual state used to torment the souls of the wicked who no longer possess flesh and blood physical bodies. So you got a is it figurative description or is it a literal description? And that's our task. Exactly what is it that the literal undying worms, if it's literal, what is it that the undying worms in hell will literally be feasting upon in a spiritual place of the condemned? You see that you see the difficulty. We can't just say well, that's literal, and that's not this. You have to look at the whole of the context and study. And so you start to see the difficulty, the task of taking the wrong meaning of language that is meant to be figurative. Now, let me pause for a second before some of y'all's faces crunch up and stick that way. I am not for a second suggesting hell is a figurative place. Hell is a real place. We're going to talk about that in a second. But it's described figuratively. Okay, and we'll talk more about that here in a second. But understand what I'm suggesting is when we're looking at what is hell, we're not asking is hell real with this question, but what is it? Well, it's described figuratively many times because we have to, and you see this when you study uh, apocalyptic literature and other places in scripture like prophetic literature, you have the symbolic to represent the real or the actual, but the symbolic helps to explain and you have to learn how to discern that. So the question is, if we understand that figurative language is used, and we just simply have to be able to discern. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. We need to look and say, okay, that's figurative description. This is a literal description. We understand if we can discern that. Does the Bible give us any clues as to what hell will be like? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, it does. These are clues, obviously. Uh, but I want to state very quickly, because we wouldn't have the time to go through this entire study today. Uh, you would get way too hungry and way too impatient if I did the whole thing. So I kind of condensed it down for you to four certainties about hell. There's four things we can be absolutely certain about. And the first one I've already stated, the first certainty is that hell is real. Period. Hell's a real place. Now, can I say, yes, hell's real. I've been there. I can say absolutely that Indianapolis, Indiana's real. I've been there, but I, I can't say from firsthand experience. But by faith, the Bible says, Jesus says, hell is a place both of fire and outer darkness. So either Jesus is a psychotic liar or he's telling the truth. So I believe Jesus to tell the truth. 
hell is real, plain and simple. That's the first certainty. It is real. There's no sense trying to deny that and live your life as if that's not the case. It's real. Number two, hell is currently vacant. Now, this might get some interesting conversations afterwards, but you got to stop and think. And we'll talk more about what hell's design is here in just a moment. But hell is currently vacant. Hell is designed for Satan and his angels and the wicked to be condemned. Well, Satan's not in hell yet. Satan's not the ruler of hell. Satan is condemned to hell. And that confuses some people because culture says Satan's in charge of hell, right? No, Satan's condemned to hell. And we understand that because judgment hasn't happened, hell's currently vacant. Okay, if you want to think of it that way. Third certainty we can know about hell is that hell will be whatever whatever it turns out to be. Whatever hell turns out to be, and it will be that, whether we understand uh, it or not. Right. So, so hell will be whatever it turns out to be, whether our understanding of, of, of the reality of hell and what it is and its nature is anywhere close to being correct. Stop and think about that for a second. I might be absolutely dead wrong about hell and everything that it's going to be, but it's going to be exactly whatever it's going to be because God's in charge, right? God has appointed this place. So whether or not we understand it, hell will be what hell will be. And I know that maybe sounds silly, but that's really important to understand. People, uh, and I have endeavored to this set and study and study and try to say, hell will be this and this and this and this and this and this. Yes, well, how do you know? Well, there's some evidences and this. Well, you know, you might be wrong. And that's okay because hell's going to be exactly what it's going to be, whether we understand it or not. We can't change what it's going to be. That's a certainty. Number four, whatever hell turns out to be, I hope to never find out, personal note, but whatever hell turns out to be, it will be appropriate punishment inflicted by a righteous and holy God. We have to know that. That is absolutely certain. Whatever it's going to be, and there are many theories and many doctrines, we just can't possibly touch on all of them today. Whatever it will be, it will be absolutely the perfect, appropriate punishment for Satan and his angels and the wicked condemned. These are four absolute certainties about hell. Absolutely no question, no debate. And with this, we can kind of feel very confident. With Given these four verities, Further debate on the nature of hell and what it is and what it's like and all that type of stuff, the landmarks and whatnot, it, that further type of debate could be seen by some as nothing more than an interesting academic exercise and therefore a waste of time. I've had people say, it's just a waste of time to talk about what hell will be because it'll be whatever it turns out to be. Well, on one level, I agree with that. Is it, does it really, do we need to make it an issue of distinction like we're talking about in the afternoons? I make it an issue of distinction, a, a line drawn in the sand that if you believe hell is this and I believe hell is this, we have to break fellowship. Absolutely not. Because it's going to be whatever it's going to be and we can't change that, have any say on that. And so there's no sense in arguing that. But that being said, my feelings are that nothing of which God spoke about is a waste of time for me to study about. And so, with that being said, I, I endeavor to study about the nature of hell and what we can possibly know from the Word of God, but I do not endeavor today uh, to become entangled, or at any point for that matter, in a debate that cannot be resolved absolutely this side of eternity. So what will hell be? It'll be exactly what it's going to be, whether we understand it or not. It is real, and it will one day be absolutely filled to the brim. 
because that is appointed uh, after judgment. So maybe that doesn't satisfy some people's curiosity. It technically doesn't satisfy mine, but I have learned to come to peace with certain level of I can't answer it and I have to be okay with that. But that being said, we can know quite a bit about hell. And perhaps, and many have done this, and I I appreciate this approach, perhaps hell could be better understood rather than what it is. It can be better understood about what it is not. And I'm going to look at just two things that hell may be better understood by what it is not. What is not there. We can be confident that certain things are not in hell. What is not in hell? Well, let's turn over to 2 Thessalonians. And we read in chapter 1, in verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 9. Here Paul, dealing with events to take place after the coming, with the coming and after the coming of the Lord, and things such as that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 9, it says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence or away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, just from this one verse, I want you to stop and think about what's not in hell. What's not in hell is the presence of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. And I've heard people say, well, that's what makes hell hell. Okay, maybe but I know that the presence of the Lord is not there. Try to stop and imagine for a second a place away from God, a place away from the God of relationships. Try to picture a place without God. It would be a place that is without these relationships, or it would be out without love and joy and peace. It would be a place without beauty and satisfaction and contentment and acceptance, a place without uh, affection and fulfillment and laughter and everything else that is called good. That's not going to be in hell. That's not there. That would be pretty horrible, wouldn't it? Quite literally, a place without those things would be hell. A place void of all that God is, would be a place of eternal aloneness. It's a place of eternal destruction, everlasting destruction we just read, but it's also going to be a place of eternal aloneness. We think back to the Garden of Eden when God created man and no helper was found to be suitable for him among all the animals. Man was absolutely alone and God says it's not good that a man should be alone. So he made a helper for him and he gave him flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones and created woman for him. It's not good to be alone. Hell is a place of aloneness. This is communicated, I believe, when Jesus speaks figuratively of the outer darkness of hell. He's describing the complete absence of relationship. Outer darkness means it's far away from light or the light as you can get. John chapter 1 tells us the light that was came into the world was Jesus. So as far away from God and Jesus and all that is good and holy is, is, is where hell is. This is eternal aloneness, and this eternal aloneness will be the source of indescribable anguish, especially for all who know God and have failed to do his will. So we know that's not going to be their relationship with God. What else? We can talk about what's not in hell in the sense of what happens there, or maybe what doesn't happen there, but we talk about what happens in hell, and I put my little quotes around that to understand 
we have to kind of, you know, understand that I don't know what's going to happen in hell because I have, don't have that foresight per se. But we see from metaphors and figurative language and the descriptions we have in Scripture, when you look at the metaphor of just fire, right? Typically, nearly always, fire in the Word of God is used to describe consumption. It's used to describe destruction, a consuming fire God is described as, or fire is used to scorch the land and burn the city and leave no stone unturned, those types of ideas. Fire is almost always used as a metaphor for complete and total destruction and consumption. My friends, to describe hell as being an eternal fire is to suggest that the eternal destruction of whatever is there will be taking place. Now, if hell is a place of eternal destruction, what's going to be in hell? Well, I've already said that. Hell is prepared for Satan and his angels. So all those who do Satan's biddings in the, in the angelic or heavenly realm and those who are condemned to hell by their in lack of the blood of Jesus Christ, those who are not saved, those who are condemned by sin and by the great judge. Hell is a place of eternal fire. Hell is a place of eternal destruction. We just read that in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Many have suggested, and this is where you get in some really interesting discussions, and we won't get into these today. I'd just like to propose a few, maybe. Many have suggested that that this idea of eternal fire describes a never-ending disintegration, you might call it, of all that is good in a person. Uh, you know, and there's all throughout different cultures, and, and ours is no exception. You have different concepts of eternal torment. The truth is, when you stop and think about this, we are all living souls that are becoming something, are we not? All right, We're either becoming a person who is unselfishly loving God and others, which is real life, or we are selfishly loving ourselves and not serving God and not serving others, which is real death. I came across one quote on this idea that I thought I'd share with you. Tim Keller, he says it this way. He kind of gives us some insight about this idea of hell, this this eternal destruction it says, even in this life, we can see the kind of soul disintegration that self-centeredness creates. We know how selfishness is absorption and absorption leads to um, perceiving bitterness, nauseating envy, paralyzing anxiety, paranoid thoughts, and the mental denials and distortions that accompany them. He says, now ask the question, what if when we die, we don't end, but spiritually our life extends on into eternity? That's an interesting question, but we don't. He says, hell then is the trajectory of a soul living a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on and on forever. Now, this is his idea. But whatever hell is, it, it, it's, it's not good. Those who live a life of selfishness and self-centeredness and, 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 and fulfillment of self and never denying self for the cause of Christ, that's, that's, this is where they're headed. This is a type. My friends, we, we understand from Scripture that Jesus warned us that self-centered living, we could turn over and look in Luke chapter 9, that self-centered living would end in loss. Those who live for self lose. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 24, then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So even in this life, we understand that selflessness is what is necessary. But we, we, we just understand, my friends, that a self-centered life is like existing as a living dead person. The point I want you to see is what can we know about hell for certain? Well, what we can know from, for certain is that hell is real. 
And it's currently vacant. Absolutely know that. Hell, also we know that it will be whatever it turns out to be, whether we understand it or not. And it will be an appropriate punishment for the wicked by a righteous God. And we can know that hell is a place absent of relationship, which is absolute aloneness. And it's a place of punishment and perpetual disintegration of the soul into greater and greater self-centeredness. You know, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine the anguish of such a place. You know, look how hard it is just to feel alone in this life, which might just be temporary, uh, you know, literally weeks or months or something such as that. Can you imagine eternal separation from God? Yeah, here's the question we want to get back to. This is what we're going to, this is what we're going to stop on trying to understand hell. The question we want to get back to, does a loving God send people to hell? Well, here's what we need to understand. We need to understand God's true desires, my friends. If we can understand God's true desires, we can answer our question. Scripture makes it absolutely clear what God wants. God does not want anyone to be destroyed. He doesn't want anyone to, to perish. He wants everyone to repent. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, we read very clearly here that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now that's important to understand. God loves the whole world. He loves every individual. He loves it so much that he sent his son to die for every human being that we might enjoy and experience his presence and the relationship and all the goodness and joy and, and blessings that that brings. But here's what we got to understand. God will not force us. He will not force anyone to love him and enjoy a relationship with him. So actually, to answer our question, does a loving God send people to hell? The answer is actually no. God doesn't actually send people to hell. My friends, people make the free choice to reject Him and essentially are sending themselves. Now I know that's just an interesting way to think about it. Think about that for a second. If we reject God, is God really sending us? If we have a choice, think about your parenting experiences or dealing with children. How you could choose one option which is good or one option is bad. You're making it your own decision. My friends, God forces no one into a relationship with him. He gives us free will. And by doing so, God has created the possibility of a true love response from us. And unfortunately, he has opened up consequences that can be extremely negative. We've talked about that before. That, that evil is in the heart of man and, and, and all evil comes from man and, and, and humans are capable of tremendous evil. My friends, when people choose to serve themselves... Instead of serving God, they ultimately choose a place void of relationship, a place called hell. Kind of wrap your head around that for a second. All these years, God's going to send people to hell. Actually, people send themselves when you stop and think about it. By choosing to reject God, not accepting the gospel call. Another quote that I came across as I was studying this is from C.S. Lewis. I like some of his writings. I don't like everything he's written, but he says it this way. Uh, All that are in hell, choose it. The door to hell is locked on the inside. thought about that for a little while. And people choose their eternal destiny. 
We sing, song, sing songs all the time. What will it be? What will your answer be? What choice will you make? Now is the time. We're going to sing God calling yet. He's, he's saying, I'm calling. I'm giving you a choice. People choose every day to serve themselves. Why? Well, because it's uncomfortable for them to serve God, to serve others. It's hard. It's difficult. It's hard to say, all of you and none of me, I'll do what you want, I'll submit my life, I will do the hard things, make the hard choices, say the hard things, stand when it's difficult. That's hard, and so it's not comfortable to serve God. It's easier not to a lot of times and just kind of go wherever the tide pushes. And in doing so, they choose hell as the eternal destination of their most precious possession, their soul. We were talking this morning in class, it's an outstanding class, that Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is a life choice. It's a decision. It's, it's, it is a discipline. You spend your life being trained by the Word of God to go into combat and do the hard things and serve and, and, and empty yourself in service to the Lord and, and just to pour yourself out for Him. That's hard. Don't anybody, never let anybody lie to you and say it's easy. That Christianity is some easy life just full of blessings and butterflies and rainbows and puppets. That's, that's a lie. Christianity's hard. But nothing that comes easy is worth having. Effort makes it worth it. Well, we're not saving ourselves. We're not earning our salvation. No. Think about how hard it was to make salvation possible. Sweat as drops of blood and tears and agony and suffering and torture and abuse and on. That was hard. Jesus paid the price. So we freely receive the grace of God. I understand that, but continuing steadfast is hard. Living for self is easy. Always easy. One more thought about hell before we finish. Let's think about heaven for just a second. What is heaven? Well, it's kind of the same thing. We don't really know what heaven is because nobody's been there. Other than John, he got a glimpse into it. Read about that over in Revelation. Here's a quote from Revelation 4 here on the wall. Heaven is where God resides. It's where God is. Hell is where God is not. Heaven is where God is. It's a place of perpetual worship and service to God. Over in Revelation 4, in chapter chapter 4 there in verses 8 through 11, when John is blessed to see what heaven is like, and he's told to write it down and tell the churches about this, here's what he sees. He says, Day and night the four living creatures never stop singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the all-powerful God who was and is and is coming. The living creatures kept praising, honoring, and thanking the one who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. And at the same time, John says... The 24 elders knelt down before the one sitting on the throne, and as they worshiped the one who lives forever, they placed their crowns in front of the throne, setting them down before the Lord and said, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. You created all things, and by your decision they are and were created. That's what heaven is. Now stop and think about this for a second. A person who has chosen and continues to choose a self-centered life, serving self, what do I want, what do I need, me, me, me type of stuff, the person who chooses that won't tolerate heaven. Won't be able to stand it. So the good news, you won't be there. 
Because you wouldn't like it. It's not what's about it's not about you, it's about him. So those who choose self-centered lives now, those who are on the road to hell, you're not gonna like heaven anyway, so you're not missing out on anything that you would want. You see where I'm getting? We need to change the way we think. We need to quit living for self and living for the Lord. Hell is not where God wants you to end up. Doesn't want anyone to perish. You read that already over in the epistle written by Peter. But at the same time, he won't force you. He won't force you to choose him in order to have an eternity of joy with him. No, instead, he simply offers himself in the form of just calling. Come to me. He offers himself as your salvation from an eternity without him. John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He asked her, do you believe this? And of course she did. But he just simply offers himself. He says, here I am. You come to me. That's what we're going to sing. God calling yet. God says, if you want it, come on and take it. It's freely given. He's paid the price. Jesus paid the price. All things are ready. All sacrifices that are necessary have been made. You simply have to choose to deny self and take up your cross or to ignore your cross and take up self. You see the choice? It comes down to your choice. Doesn't it always come down to your choice? Isn't that the truth? So here's the question. I'm going to leave you with Jesus' question. Do you believe all this? What do you believe this morning? Do you choose to believe what the scriptures teach and show? Do you believe to cho- choose to believe that Jesus' words and the fact that he is the son of God and he, he gave his life on Calvary that you can have a hope of heaven? Do you choose to believe that God is calling? He's given you a choice. He's given you an opportunity. You're going to sit there, sleep there, do nothing, and let the choice pass you by. If you do that, you're choosing hell. If you don't choose a relationship with the Lord, being immersed into His death, baptized for the remission of sins, if you don't choose that, then you are choosing hell. And you will go there. Hell is real. And it's for those who do not choose selfless service to the Lord. So you have an opportunity today.